I got nothing for a cute intro. Uh, you know, I can't hear you. You have to talk in your microphone. Rolling my eyes. I can't. Keep going. Talk in your mic. I'm talking. Welcome to Historical Baptist FC, life and ministry from a historical Baptist perspective. I'm Robert Klotz, senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Talladega. I'm Heath Walton, associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Talladega. So, Robert, what does the FC stand for today? I really, really want it to stand for Family Shepherds <laughs> because Shepherds <laughs> doesn't start with C. But you told me it has Family to, Shepherds. Or uh, what What did we come up with? The uh, father, way, Fatherhood was, Challenge? Is that what we decided? Fatherhood Challenge. Fatherhood Challenge. Uh, by the way, my accent was just generic. It was not representative of any group. All right. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Okay, so the idea was... Um, well, the idea was we had another Baptist distinctive to talk about, as promised. Yeah. But, we, but you didn't like it, and I couldn't find my I, notes. Okay, let's clarify. It's not that I didn't like the Baptist distinctive. I just didn't like the idea of talking about it. Today. For today, yes. For today, I did not. Heath is not a fan of individual soul liberty. That's not true. <laughs> um, well, now that's recorded. But anyway, so um, what... what brought this idea to mind was Robert spoke to a group of men on Sunday uh, because he he teaches this uh, or helps teach this men's Bible study Um, and then also we have a men's conference coming up so it's sort of a theme that's on my mind right now and um, from what I hear Robert did a great job on Sunday Uh, and so I just wanted to to talk a little bit about that and and just you didn't hear that from me by the way no that would be conceited that would, uh, but I just want to talk a little bit about that, about men's ministry in general, I guess. But so, so yeah, go for it. Go. Talk to us about men's ministry. No, you talk to us. As you're the one who taught it. <laughs> so tell us a little bit what you taught on Sunday, then. Um, so on Sunday, I referenced um, the account of Joab and Abishai from Second Samuel ten. Um, How positive are you in pronouncing those names? Ninety-eight percent confident. Joab and Abishai. Yeah, I I don't know. Joab's easy. I'm just saying. Abishai, I feel pretty good about. Okay. Um, I'm not doing it with proper accent, but I, I think I think that's pretty close. Um, I'm also reading them out of the ESV, not the original Hebrew, so I could be way off. But yeah, I think it's Joab and Abishai. Thank you for derailing the conversation already. Sorry. Anyway, Joab and Abishai uh, are brothers. If you're fairly familiar with the account, you already know this. Uh, Joab is the commander of uh, one of the central commanders of David's armies. Um, and specifically here, you're talking about the mighty men of David, um, You know these men of renown and, and great reputation, um, fierce in battle. Joab is commanding them um, against the Ammonites, at least as it starts out. David sends a coalition of men because the king... Uh, of the Ammonites has died. He sends a coalition to go basically express, you know, our condolences. They shave off half their beards and send them home ashamed. And David, you know, tells them to go basically wait till their their beards grow back uh, and and they don't have to be ashamed anymore, which I feel like is already enough of an illustration. You're giggling over there because we could talk about men's ministry and the necessity of a good beard. And I'm sure you're looking up a Spurgeon quote right now. Um, yes, the half beard was a sign of shame. Correct. I don't know why you couldn't just say that. You have a microphone too. Um, I was writing it down to talk about it. Um, so 
um, basically then the Ammonites are afraid that the Israelites are going to be upset, which they probably should be. David is going to attack uh, because they've shamed his men. Um, and so they go h- grab some buddies. Um, round and round we go until where we find ourselves is Joab and the mighty men of David are surrounded. Um, the the Ammonites have um, gone and grabbed their buddies, the Syrians, and they've surrounded Jerusalem. Uh, and Joab is is surrounded. Um, you know he's he's in a tight spot. So he he get, he, he tells his brother Abishai that he's going to take some of the men, and, and they're going to fight on one front, and he and the rest of the men are going to fight on the other. They'll sort of be back to back, and if one needs help, they'll 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 help one another out. But then he gives him this speech uh, in verse 12. Um, I'll read it out of the ESV, although the ESV isn't my favorite translation of this. But it says, um, Be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. Um, I I like some versions say, um, Let us play the man for our God and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. Uh, that's that's the speech that Joab gives to his brother Abishai. And in that lesson on Sunday, we talked about the importance of uh, playing the man and, and the three things that that would include, courage, setting an example, and trusting the Lord. Um, so we can unpack that a little, but this is not really a men's devotional so much as how do... I think I think what you're wanting to discuss is how how do we do men's ministry? What is the necessity of men's ministry? And and not I think the particular emphasis even there would be um, how does a pastor um, cultivate a an atmosphere a culture of biblical manhood in his church? Yeah. How does he charge up the men to be? Those who would, in the words of Joab to Abishai, play the man, um, and and for that, I think we shall cite some statistics. So, um, I preached my Father's Day sermon as I do every Father's Day here uh, from Deuteronomy chapter six, and I, I usually try to update some um, some statistics and research to uh, before I, I talk about the role of fathers from Deuteronomy chapter six in the home. I, I like to talk about the necessity of. Um, good spiritual fathers in the church uh, and and you know even more poignantly and particularly in in the home but give some uh, research so I, I I looked up some of these numbers and and I'll just share some of them uh, the Southern Baptist Convention's Family Life Council and this one this statistic is several years old but says that 88 percent of children raised in an evangelical Christian home will leave the church at 18 and never return that percentage is probably higher as the years go on that statistic is probably 10 years old. Um, yeah, I would I would probably say it's a good bit higher now. Um, but we can sort of see that there's an entire generation missing uh, in the church, and we've lamented about that for a long time. Uh, in 2020, Gallup reported that only 42 percent of millennials attend church. How many percent? 42, which I think is wow. high. I think that's high too. I, I did not think it would. But be again, that high. that's a Gallup survey. Yeah. Which means basically 42 percent of people say. They forty-two percent of millennials say they attend church. Do you think of a horse every time you hear that? Gallop. Yeah. Does that literally do? I do now. You're welcome. <laughs> Churchleaders.com says that among the millennial generation, twenty-five percent of practicing Christian millennials believe the church is irrelevant. Ooh. 
that's not good. So that's not 25% of millennials. That's 25% of practicing Christian millennials believe the church to be irrelevant. And interestingly enough, that percentage is the exact same among non-Christian millennials. Non-Christian millennials, when surveyed, 25% of them say the church is irrelevant. And Christian millennials, when surveyed, 25% of them say the church is irrelevant. My goodness. Uh, Pew Forum said 80% of evangelical Protestant Christians consider religion important in their lives, which sounds great, 80%. That's awesome. But shouldn't all evangelical Protestant Christians consider religion important in their lives? Yeah. That should be 100. Um, that same report from pewforum.com recorded 59% of evangelical Protestant parents, okay, so a really narrow specific group, 59% of evangelical Protestant parents attend religious services at least once per week, mm-hmm. which is, again, alarmingly low. That should be 100%. 31% say they attend once or twice per month uh, to a few times a year, and 10% they say they attend seldom or never. They identify themselves as Protestant Christian parents, um, <laughs> evangelical Protestant parents. It's and time yet, for people to learn what Protestant means. 10% of them say they might never go to church. Mm. Um, Lifeway reported uh, recently I don't have the date written down here but it's a recent report uh, says that of all the days of the year including holiday weekends like 4th of July Memorial Day Labor Day weekend those long weekends when people are you know doing whatever camping on the lake whatever uh, Lifeway reports that of all the days of the year the single lowest average church attendance occurs on Father's Day wow there is no Sunday on the church calendar, no Lord's Day, and I choose that term very particularly, no Lord's Day on the calendar where there are fewer people in attendance than on Father's Day hmm. on average. I remember with these stats you're talking about, we we heard for years in student ministry that, you know, it had to do with our student ministry. It had to do with you're not, you know, uh, keeping them. You're not, you know, discipling them enough, which is true to an extent. Um, but this does reveal as well. I'll much, give you much pushback came saying, "Wait a second, we have them an hour a week, right?" When there is parents who have them the vast majority of the rest of the week. So let me give you one more statistic that sort of answers that, um, and and not only answers it, but but definitely more than hints at what the solution is. Um, another recent study said that when only a child's mother attends Sunday school and worship. Children are 15% likely to attend Sunday school and worship when they grow up. When only the father attends, that number goes up to 55% likely that they will that the child will grow up and attend. And if both parents, mother and father, attend, it goes to 72%. Man. And, and, and that's not even talking about doing family devotions at home, um, discipling your, your children. All that is is regular church attendance and Sunday school and worship. And you go from 15% likely to attend if just mom goes to 55% if just dad goes. And if mom and dad both go to church faithfully, that child is 72% likely. Statistically speaking, now not spiritually speaking, of course we know this is role of the Holy Spirit, sovereignty of God, but just raw statistical data, 72% likely that the child will grow up and also attend Sunday school and worship service. This is one of those moments that uh, 
we could end the podcast right now and say, go tell parents, you know, but let's not do You that. did drag out that time I bar did, so, that we, so that we don't have to end the podcast right yes, now, right? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> if you didn't, then we're not really talking to no, anyone but good. ourselves. We're good. Okay. We, I think we could talk for three more hours. Okay. Um. So... On Father's Day, then, I, I launched into basically a tirade against fathers uh, from Deuteronomy 6 about fulfilling now, your biblical role. Now, I wouldn't say against fathers. I would say in favor of fathers. Yeah. You weren't I wasn't. anti-father. If anything, you were trying to be the supporter of fathers. Okay. By encouraging them to do what is biblical. Poor choice of words, but it's late on a Thursday, and I have written two sermons today. And That's true. Um, I'm out of words. Uh so the outline of that sermon was teach your children the things of God, teach your children dependence upon God, teach your children holiness unto God, and teach your children that redemption comes from God. And just walking all the way through Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you want to, you know, I think we talked about uh, sermon plagiarism. If you want to steal my outline, go for it. There it is. Um, is it on Vimeo? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's uh, All you got to do is find a Father's Day because I've been preaching the same Father's Day sermon since 2010. Yeah, all right. The exact same passage every so you're year. You're plagiarizing yourself every year? Yeah. All right. Um, I changed it up a little. Grabbed some new illustrations and new st- statistics. but, um, So I, I think already we're, we're talking then about the solution, right? The solution to the problem that all the statistics demonstrate. And that, uh, you know, even anecdotally we, we know, we experience as pastors uh, in ministry, even just as Christian men, um, you know, you talk about often that there's a there's a gap, right, uh, of of a generation, and that there is a complete absence of biblical fathers in in churches. Um, I think since the 1950s, people have lamented that churches are full of women and children, yeah. and where are the men? Um, and there there's lots of other statistics out there, and we've quoted just some. There's entire ministries based on the reality that, um, you know. God ordained that that men should be leaders in their homes, leaders in the church, and that things can turn on a dime if you have faithful, committed men in the church. Yeah. So, um, so, so all that to I hope then shows the necessity of men's ministry. Um, it shows that men's ministry is an important area of focus. Now, I'm not saying that it needs to become another one of those things that's sort of overly programmatic and those sorts of things, but I do think that there's a, a good and right place to um, speak directly to men, to charge men up, but also even more poignantly to to find places to train men up, to find avenues to train men um, to disciple in their homes, maybe even to teach in the church, Um Chances for them to fellowship with one another, so that they they you know that that sort of uh, Elijah needing to know that there were others who hadn't bowed the knee. Um, you give men the other opportunity to see that they know that they're not the only ones. Uh, you know, even if you don't have sort of a de- dedicated men's ministry per se, you don't have brotherhood breakfast anymore or a men's breakfast like we have monthly. You know, whatever. Um, some focus on men, even if it's not a, a men's ministry program per se, is vitally important for the church. And and I would say that because it doesn't just sort of need to be this afterthought of, oh, I hope some men come to church. In many ways, it needs to be an area of focus. You, you, you need to be focused on training up fathers because who is then going to take that message home and train their wives and children and, and lead in their homes? Well, 
you know, that's not to say that you neglect women's ministry or children's ministry or ministry overall to the entire gospel family, but uh, you know, church family. But uh, I think there, I think there does need to be an emphasis on on men. Well, yeah, you know, we we are complementarian, so we do believe that men and women are different but equal in the eyes of God and in value. Um, and I do believe that men learn differently. Um, they're motivated by different things. They, and this isn't across the board for every man that's out there, but you know, the majority of men are motivated differently, are taught differently. Um, like you said, they need to have that sort of camaraderie um, that is a unique form of camaraderie. Uh, we need that. That's why I love our, our men's breakfast so much. It's different from, say, the women's Bible study that I teach. It's just a different atmosphere altogether. Um, and Well, I would say, like, even even in the Sunday school class, so so I sort of hop back and forth between two Sunday school classes. One would be the one where I, I taught this uh, lesson on Joab and Abishai that we're talking about, and it is exclusively a men's class. Men of all ages are in there, but it's just men. And then... Um, I attend with my wife sometimes a, a couples class that's um, sort of, you know, young families, parents, um, you know, for the most part, uh, children really ranging in age from infant all the way to college. But it's, it's you know, people who are still raising their children that season of life. Um, one of the things that I have uh, just sort of sat back and marveled at some Sundays is in that room where there are some singles and some couples, there is there is a refreshing amount of facial hair in that room. Can I put that that way? <laughs> yeah, you can. I, I don't just mean that, that men are, are there and make up at least half the class. I mean that, and this is, this is going to sound weird, I, I mean men manlier than me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're, I mean, I'm in there. So. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, I mean, like... Guys, guys, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You know, we got a guy that works maintenance. Uh, we got a guy that, you know, works in a laser fabri- fabrication shop. Shout out, Casey. We got a guy that um, now works at the Army Depot, but, you know, had a uh, really interesting military career. We'll just <laughs> yeah. put it that way. Um, in all the cool ways, he had a really interesting military. They have men who work with their hands. Yeah, a farmer. Yeah. I mean, you know. Um, a farmer and former lineman, yeah, and in college then, football. You know, you've got guys who who like to talk about hunting. You've got guys that like to talk about fishing. You've got guys in there talking about old cool watches. I mean, uh, again, music. Shout out Casey. Music and cooking. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Like it. <laughs> um, That's me. And yet, and and here's, I think here's where I want to maybe bring that back to what we're talking about and use it as an illustration. I think. And, and you tell me if I'm wrong. I think in that environment, though, what you don't see is all this machismo where the women are just sitting back going, Ugh, rolling their eyes. No. It, the couples thrive and the class identity thrives because um, the men are being men and the women are being women and the, the couples are being couples and the families are being families and we're doing all of that together oh, as yeah. we pursue Christ. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree with that. that- and, and I think that as the men thrive in the church, the church thrives as the church. And, and I, honestly, I think the men in that room, and this may come off as weird as well, they're not afraid to be men in that room. They're not afraid that their wives are going to get on to them for being men. 
Um, but like you said, they're also they they. I don't know a single man in that room who would degrade his wife. No, and speak ill of her in any way, like my old ball and chain or anything like mm-hmm. that. I don't know a single man in that room who would. In fact, every man in that room, as far as I know, deeply loves their wives and loves them in a way that I think would honor Christ. Well, and, and, and I love that, and deeply loves Jesus too. I mean, yes. the, the spiritual conversations in that room are incredibly in depth. And again, I think that's because that that class has fostered an atmosphere and a culture in which the men are thriving and that means the women are also thriving the couples are thriving as couples the singles are are thriving as singles uh, the families are thriving when when the parents go back home uh, well discipled and charged up and ready for the i mean it, it i think it is a microcosm of how the church should work and and i would say that that extends far beyond that one sunday school class too i think i think yeah. that that culture is taking hold uh, at our church and i i, I you know I, I don't know that i know that that's not credit to me that's that's a work of the holy spirit and i'm thankful for that i, I think all of that to say that that kind of of men's ministry needs to be a, a focus now I want to say that in contrast with another kind of men's ministry that we do. So another kind of men's ministry we're involved with is um, we do like a men's evangelistic event where we've got like former football player come and share his testimony. You know, we go shoot clay pigeons, uh, learn how to uh, fish. A guy comes, puts on a turkey calling exhibition. We eat a bunch of barbecue. Some some random guy teaches people how to fly fish. I don't know who that could be, but uh, you know what? Like we do that too, and and evangelistically, it, there's always a great evangelistic opportunity. You got guys who might not attend the church who are coming to that kind of event, but I think the thing we're talking about in this episode goes beyond that into your day to day, the way you do church and the culture you foster in the church, where you are calling out men to be biblical men. I think a big part of that, number one, let me clarify one thing. When we say we bring in former football players to speak, uh, they're not just up there speaking on, let me talk about my former glory days. Um, The one in particular, Rich Wingo, he brings it every time, and he does a great job. Um, But I think one of the big things that I've noticed here is the relationship that the men have with each other outside of those classes. You have that genuine fellowship but you also have men desiring to study the word with other men, mm-hmm. wanting to start up groups. And we have one group right now and one that's wanting to begin and um, just wanting to meet together on a semi-regular basis to study the word, which is, it's amazing to see what the spirit is doing with that. Um, and of course, this, like I, I agree with you. It's because of the spirit that this is happening. Um, I'm amazed to see that that Sunday school class may have to go to a new room. Yeah, uh, I think it may be because it's so refreshing to men mm-hmm. to have that and that they're enthusiastically coming. Uh, not that their wives aren't enthusiastic, but the men leading the family are enthusiastic to come. Yeah. And so we're seeing a, a pretty sharp growth in that class, and it's only getting bigger. Yeah, they've outgrown one room. The room they're in now has had to be rearranged so that more tables and chairs could be added now three times, and and we're almost to the point that you can't add any more tables and chairs. We're either just going to have to do away with the tables and pack the chairs in tight, or like go meet in the chapel or something. Yeah. Um. Which yeah is is awesome and refreshing. Yeah. 
Now you're going to make us do another episode on when to start new classes, and that's going to make me angry. No, I'm just going to leave that alone. <laughs> um, There's a lot of talk on that, but I'm not 100% sold on any of it because, I mean, there are men in churches who've had Sunday school classes that were gigantic, mm-hmm. men that I greatly respect, and if those men can do that, why not? You know. <laughs> so you want to go controversial for a second? Oh, boy. Um. So So right now... There's um, a really dynamic podcast out that if you're looking for a good podcast, turn this one off and go listen to um, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill that's um, put out by Christianity Today. Uh, As far as just production value, storytelling, in-depth reporting, it is phenomenal. Um, I haven't missed an episode. But. Yeah. A large focus of that podcast Set, sort of sets the weight of the collapse of Mars Hill on Mark Driscoll's personality and some of his machismo. Yeah. Um. In some regards, that abusiveness and over-the-top machismo to the point that it became abusive is clearly sinful, zero accountability structure, all those things that Christianity Today has said about it. But I also realize that us sitting here now and talking about calling men to be men and um, me being encouraged by the significant amount of facial hair in the room of of my Sunday school class can come across as some of that. I don't think we need to sit here and talk about what makes it different. Um, I I would hope that my, you know, by God's grace, I I would not fall into the personality trends and pitfalls of uh, that that Martin Driscoll fell into. And I, I pray for that on the reg. Um, I knew that would make you roll your eyes. That's why I did it. Um, but, <sighs> and, and having an accountability structure, having, um, I mean, both of us pastoring the church together with that accountability. I, I think that that, that wards that sort of abusive, um, context off. Um, but, but all, all that to say, um, it, I think there might be some, and, and and I, I know there would be some in our modern culture, and I wonder if there would also be some even in our modern church culture who would say that that's creating toxic masculinity. Yeah. Um. And I actually s- heard that in a movie. Scooby Doo, the new one. Scooby. I, I mean, you know that that phrase gets thrown around a lot, and and I think that there. There could be someone who could listen to what we're saying right now and say, well, that's just toxic masculinity. You know, man being man, blah, blah, blah. You know, you, you guys, it's just a culture of toxic masculinity. We're aiming for healthy masculinity. I'm, more than that, biblical masculinity. Yeah. And I think wh- what we're saying is that where there is biblical masculinity, contrary to the cultural perception that it sort of destroys everything else uh, and ends up in abuse, um, I think because, oh, I, I, I know, I believe, I'm firmly convinced and convicted that because it is in line with God's good design, then the things that God would want to foster, the things that God is fostering in a church, in women, in children, and in other men, happen because of, again, not because of an abusive, but you, you it, it more... Biblical masculinity, masculinity actually protects against that kind of culture of, of abuse. Uh, I think um, in the, uh, what was the name of the documentary uh, that Founders put out? 
By what standard? By what standard? He's interviewing out Dr. Moeller and about does complementarianism foster abuse? And Moeller's response was that that he and Tom Askell both grew up in a day and age when men were men and you better not dare even hint at mistreating a woman. That, 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 that biblical masculinity doesn't foster, complementarianism doesn't foster abuse. It protects against it when rightly done. And I think if we're talking, yes, there, there are men who have sinned. Men have always been sinners, and men have been sick sinners for a long, long time. And men are prone to abusing women and, and abusing authority and abusing power and seeking after those things in an abusive way. But I, I think that it has coincided with a decline in biblical masculinity that you've seen arise in abuse and in abusive cultures. Yeah. Now tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that I think we're not looking at the dates and the statistics and the trends carefully enough when we think that a rise in complementarianism and a rise in biblical masculinity has created a culture of abuse. I think that it's the opposite. I think that men not being men has created that cultural uh, that culture and that context. Men being stuck as perpetual boys. And men not holding those men stuck as perpetual boys accountable. Yeah. Men not challenging other men to be men. And yeah. to grow up, and to to father their children, and to love their wives. Um, boy, I have so many examples I want to share, but I got I got to be careful what goes out over the airway. Yeah, oh, I know which one's on your mind right now. Um, you know, being firm with men—that's something that needs to happen. Yes. Um, we have danced around it for far too long with men about being firm with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a there's a fear that I'm gonna run them off, or I'm a, there's a fear that I'm gonna hurt their feelings. Um, sometimes a man needs to have his feelings hurt. It's just I, I think that's a not for the sake of hurting his feelings, but the, for the sake of bringing him into a more biblical model of what a man well, should be to teach him meekness. I yeah. think being I'm you doing air quotes you can't see. I think being all in your feels is the opposite of meekness. Yeah. I know when we talk about the opposite of meekness, we think of a guy pounding his chest and being prideful. And that's true. That's not meekness. But being so self-consumed and self-concerned that all you can see is how you feel about a situation and not how it affects others is also the opposite of meekness. That's true. That's 100% true. Um So, I'm trying to come up with a nice way to ask this question. Oh boy! I mean, it's not 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 okay. Let me just say, I'm not saying where are we right and where are other churches wrong. Where do you think that ministries are going wrong with men? What is it that is you know that is there like one component that's missing in in different churches, or is it uh, just a number of things? piled up on top of each other that that we're not doing a great job of reaching men. I think if I had the answer, I would have made a lot of money writing a book by now because I've read a lot of books. You know what I'm saying? I've read a lot about this problem. I mean, we've read all the statistical data. We've had these conversations. You've read a lot of books. Uh, You know, there's a book on my shelf right now called Why Men Hate Going to Church. Yeah. Um, And it talks about that, that churches are sort of catered to women. Yeah. And children. Um, the the children's wing is brightly colored and fun, and the sanctuary is floral and pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe so you could say... So build an outdoor pavilion with, like, animal heads? Is it? I don't know, man. I, I Maybe <laughs> it's some of that. Maybe. 
Yeah. But but I don't think I don't think you can blame it all on that. No. Um I think that's a little superficial to say well the men just don't like the de- decor. Yeah. That doesn't seem very manly either to like not go to church cuz I don't like how it's decorated. Yeah. Um I I think a lot of it is well I think well okay, let me so one thing I've heard from men over the years of why they don't go to church is things like it's a crutch. They they see it as something weak. See yeah. What I'm saying? So I think you have to attack that then from from two levels. Number one, you have to address that sin problem because because a guy who is determined that he doesn't need a crutch is sinfully self sufficient. Oh yeah. A guy needs Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, he is self sufficient rather than faithful. That that's so that's well, and and I think that this is true, you know, across church life. But um, how much men's discipleship is going on? That's a great question. In in churches, a lot of churches, ours included, have women's Bible studies, and that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But how many of those churches also have men's discipleship, men's Bible study, yeah. dedicated to men? Now you might say, well. And you know, yeah, you, there there'd be some reason to to say this that women's Bible studies in the middle of the day because uh, you know it's it's retired ladies and and stay at home moms and so we offer child care for the stay at home moms and they study God's word together and and the men are at work. Well, that's fine. Our, our monthly men's ministry meets before work. Yeah. Our men's prayer group meets every week before work. Yeah. I mean, there are other times. I don't think you can just blame it on that. But I I do think that. Um, that we don't do a good enough job discipling men. I think that we don't do a good enough job uh, explaining to men why they need to be discipled. I don't think we do a good enough job uh, telling men that they're not self-sufficient. Yeah, that's what I was about to say is is I think a big part of that is that the preaching and teaching of churches have almost long supported a self-sufficiency uh, when it becomes too oh, legalistic. Oh, well, or, you know yes. What I'm or to self-help. I mean, yeah. it, it is atrocious. It is Ten sickening. Ten steps to your happy marriage and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, it's sickening that there is such a thing in Christian bookstores as a self-help section. <laughs> That's true. Where's the self-help section in the Bible? Oh. There's not one. Well, if it wouldn't hurt this mic, I would drop it, Robert. <laughs> um, <laughs> and You know what? I To go back to your, your point about... Um, you know, men thinking that the church is a crutch. Man, I think maybe we're spending too much energy trying to convince them that the church isn't a crutch and not enough energy convincing that they need the crutch. Hey, dude, that's two my drops in a row. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I, I think, yes, part of the problem is we have to be careful about the way that we communicate what the church is and what the church does. Yeah. We have to be careful about that. And we have to make sure it's biblical. But the pictures of the church are not are, are not the church as a crutch. But they are pictures of the church as a as a needed resource. Yeah, uh, they are they are the picture of the church as charging the gates of hell. Well, listen, you don't want to do that by yourself. No, you can't do that by yourself. You need the church. The picture of the church is 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 of a strong body that functions well. Mm-hmm. That's not a crutch, but that is a need. Like if you lopped my ear off, my ear wouldn't be more manly because he didn't need the body. He it would be dead tissue. You know, I, the the isn't the story told? Isn't it 
Well, I've heard the story many times, and people say it's about different preachers, but I'm pretty sure it's a Spurgeon story that he goes to visit the guy who hasn't been to church in however many weeks, and it probably wasn't that long. I believe it was Spurgeon. three weeks. <laughs> um, and, and, and he didn't say a word. He just came in, sat down by the fire, pulled the ember out of the fire and watched it die, and then put it back in and watched it come back to life. And the man said, I'll see you on the Lord's Day. I think that's a Spurgeon story. Let's see. Hold on. <laughs> Keep talking. I'm looking Um, up. But, you know, I... I I would be willing to bet that Spurgeon's church was filled with men. Oh, well, yeah, it was. And, um, and and it's because he didn't go and tell him, oh, you know, we're we're sorry that you weren't able to be with us. Um, maybe if we bring coffee and donuts next week, you'll be more interested. He told him, hey, dummy, you're going to die like this ember outside the fire if you don't get back to the Lord's Day worship. So do you want me to read this? Yeah, please. It's, it's short. So... It's I called, need a water break, so yeah, please. It's called The Lonely Ember. Uh, a member of a certain church who previously had been attending services regularly stopped going. After a few weeks, the pastor decided to visit him. It was a chilly evening. The pastor found the man at home alone, sitting before a blazing fire. Guessing the reason for his pastor's visit, the man welcomed him, led him to a big chair near the fireplace, and waited. The pastor made himself comfortable but said nothing. In the grave silence... He contemplated the play of the flames around the burning logs. After some minutes, the pastor took the fire tongs, carefully picked up a brightly burning ember, and placed it to one side of the hearth all alone. Then he sat back in his chair, still silent. The host watched all this quiet watched all this in quiet fascination. As the one lone ember's flame diminished, there was a momentary glow, and then the fire was no more. Soon it was cold and dead as a doornail. Not a word had been spoken since the initial greeting. Just before the pastor was ready to leave, he picked up the cold, dead ember and placed it back in the middle of the fire. Immediately, it began to glow once more with the light and warmth of the burning coals around it, and as the pastor reached the door to leave, his host said, Thank you so much for your visit, and especially for the fiery sermon. I shall be back in church next Sunday. So yes, that is a Spurgeon. Um, it's attributed to Charles Spurgeon, but... That's a very good example uh, of what we see that men desperately need. Yeah. They need to understand they do need, like you use any battle analogy. Mm-hmm. You don't find a man standing alone yeah. in a battlefield. Yeah. He's surrounded by brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other, the other big analogy people like to use for men is iron sharpens iron. It's a very manly analogy, but it's true. Uh, we need each other to sharpen one another. It's not a crutch. It's not a weakness. In fact, I would argue it's it's a sign of strength that you're willing to stand beside your brothers and fight. Um, and so we need a little bit of that fight mentality back in the churches today. You need a little bit of that that soldier mentality. Yeah. Well, and to go back to the you know the thing I said before, yeah, you, you want to be careful. You don't want to foster a sense of abuse. You don't want to become like the notorious uh, what. what pseudonym did he go by um william wallace on on the blog spot or what you know whatever that deal was with with driscoll that he got himself in so much trouble over i thought you were talking about braveheart but okay. i think william wallace jr or something like that he, yeah. he it was weird anyway listen to that podcast it's pretty fascinating um you, you don't you don't want to go there however I think there is a i think it is good and right to speak to men preach to men challenge men charge men up um any good general, I mean, to go back to that battlefield analogy, any good general, uh, in, well, 
Any good movie about a general includes a big battle speech. Yeah. The freedom speech from Braveheart. Um, it, I never forget Parker Wendell was preaching. He has a podcast as well. I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it. He was preaching here, and he quoted the speech from Kingdom of Heaven yeah. about Rise of Night, yeah. that whole speech. He quoted that in a sermon. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful. Um, I think pastors can do that. Yeah. I think you can take your men aside when you're discipling them and talk to them like that. I think you can speak to them for a moment in the context of your sermon and talk to them like that. I think you can um, speak at a men's conference or to a men's Sunday school class and talk to them like that. And I think if you talk to them like that with, um, you know, not envisioning yourself in a kilt and blue face paint, but at, at the same time, recognizing that you're there speaking to what, what God would call an army of, of the saints mm-hmm. who Jesus has told that the gates of hell will not stand against them and talk to them like they're about to charge the gates of hell. Like they're about to lay siege to the gates of hell. Talk to them like that. Um, sure. I think that makes a difference. I'm not saying I do that perfectly. I'm not even saying I do that well. But I think that if we if if we want to see men rise up and be men in the church, you have to call them out to it. Yeah. So I'm seeing a quote from a guy who's writing on... Spurgeon, Luther, and all that. And and I love this this quote. A man of God is a manly man. Yeah. A man of God is a manly man. And in the true sense of what it means to be a man, the right sense of what it means to be a man. Um, so do you have anything else you're wanting to add to this, or do you think we've covered it? I don't guess so. I guess if you want to plagiarize another sermon, I could give you this outline. Um, from it's So 2 Samuel 10, emphasis on verse 12. Um, I, again, I talked about the battle. I sort of set that stage, and then and then it was the speech. Play the man, be courageous, and and let us be courageous for our God and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to Him. Uh, we talked about our courage is a, is a decision, and it's a decision men have to make. Um, courage, courage decides to take risk that's worth the reward. I think you have to call men to do that. Um, to risk persecution, to risk humiliation, to risk failure for a good reward. Now, courage is not the same thing as recklessness. Recklessness takes a lot of risk for a very minimal reward. And isn't biblical. Yeah. Courage in worship songs. Courage recognizes that even risking life does not compare with the reward of eternity. That's right. And so it's choosing to, that's courage, it's choosing to take take that risk. Um, Set an example. I love that he says, let us play the man for our God, that is for the glory of God, and for the cities of our God. So for the good of others. I mean, how many times in the New Testament do you read about spiritual gifts being for the good of the church, us serving and working in the church for the good of the church? Set an example in whatever roles God has placed you in as a husband, as a father, uh, as a churchman, as a pastor. Set an example. Now, again, that's what our culture calls toxic masculinity. They don't like that. They're going to tell you that you're doing something wrong by trying to teach men to be men. Set an example. Play the man for your God and the cities of your God. And by the way, maybe if we set that example a little bit better, we would be able to save our culture from itself. Yeah. The same culture screaming at us about not being so much toxic masculinity. And uh, maybe we would 
Maybe we'd be used of God to save the culture from itself. And then thirdly, trust in the Lord. Uh, that that line at the end, man, if you were looking for a, a Bible story to make into a movie, this has got to be it, right? With a speech like that, let us play the man for our God and for the cities of our God and may the Lord do what seems good to him. It just I'm going to do what God calls me to do. And if I die, I die. If, if Syria and the Ammonites destroy us, they destroy us. It's God's will. Just let, let's just do what God's called us to do. Um, and, and I think that that needs to be the mentality that, that we call men to today. Um, be courageous, make, make difficult decisions, knowing that the reward of, reward of eternity is greater than anything the world could offer you. Set an example of doing that for your wife, for your children, for your church, for your culture. Um, and then trust the Lord. All right. Trust the Lord. Well, I think that might do it for today. That seems a good place to end the podcast. I think for our today. beards grew just talking about all they this. Did stuff. I, I'm not going to trim mine either. I feel very manly in my Spurgeon shirt I got for my birthday. Uh, but anyway, so thank you, Robert, for my T-shirt. You're welcome. Happy birthday. All right. Well, we're moving on from that. Um, so, do we call this season three? I don't know. I think we call it season three. Now, I feel like that would be worthy of because celebration. Because the end of season two was a dumpster fire, yeah. we're going to call this season well, three. Well, no, I, I would just say that um, you know this is season three because that's not a big accomplishment on our part that we've you know recorded three uh, three seasons worth of content, uh, but that every once in a while, uh, at least twice, we've just stopped recording for so long that we felt like we had just had to start a new season. So we promise that in season three, you can continue to expect the same kind uh, of inferior content and uh, inconsistent <laughs> content that you've come to love and expect from us at, here at uh, HBFC. Inferiority and inconsistency. Historical <laughs> Baptist FC podcast. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>